from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Happy Friday. It is Viernes. We are kicking off the weekend, and uh, we've got a really fun show for you tonight. I want you to join the conversation. If you'd like, join us via phone, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And, of course, you could chime in online on any of the social media platforms. I'm at Rich Valdez with an S at the end there. Now, let's uh, talk about what's going on, because President Trump today was... Uh, the keynote speaker at the annual NRA convention, and we've got some audio of that. I want to bring that to you quickly. Let's listen to the first clip. I promise you that I would save your Second Amendment from absolute obliteration. That's where it was going. And as your president, that's exactly what I did. We saved our Second Amendment, and we're going to save it for a long time to come. It's under siege, but we're going to save it for a long time to come, forever, as far as I'm concerned. But Trump didn't stop there. He continued. Corrupt forces and communist maniacs, and they're all over the place, <laughs> that are absolutely trying to destroy our country. They want to take away your guns while throwing open the jailhouse doors and releasing bloodthirsty criminals into your communities. Now, and this is so true, right? I think we see this over and over. Crime seems to be um, we've, we're kind of getting used to it being escalated in certain areas. I think in New York City, uh, in Chicago, in some of the places that were under control for a while, they're just becoming accustomed to it. It's kind of like if you've ever lived, and many of them may have never lived in a, in a ghetto, but people become accustomed to having garbage on the streets. They become accustomed to homeless people, uh, just you know, people just living on the streets. And when you become accustomed to that stuff, that's exactly what happens. You just it desensitizes you from what should be. And this is problematic, but Trump continued because he didn't just stop there. He went on to uh, discuss how the uh, Supreme Court is important. And while he helped put some of them on the court, they're not helping him in his legal situation. Listen to this. They've done a very good job. I always say, except for me, they've done a very good job. Standing before you, like, show your tax returns. That wasn't supposed to happen, right? <laughs> I have to agree. But if, if there's any um, poetic justice or karma in life, we will have the taxes of a lot of other people that probably didn't want their taxes to be seen. And since there's now a precedent for it, great. Godspeed. Let's do it. Anyway, Trump concluded his remarks uh, to making some comments about Putin. We'll play that a little bit later on. Uh, but Speaking of international people like Putin, the Dalai Lama, remember him? He was uh, in some heat, I think on Monday, because over the weekend there was a video that came out of the Dalai Lama sticking his tongue out and inviting a young boy to suck on his tongue. Now, I'm not, that's not a euphemism for anything. That's literally what he said. 
And um, it was a very bizarre video. A lot of people were taken aback, and rightfully so, and I'm glad they were. I'm glad people weren't coming out like the top Tibetan leader who's come out saying that the Dalai Lama sucked my tongue comment to a boy was innocent because the holy leader is beyond sensorial pleasures. Yeah, okay. Does the guy eat, right? Because eating is a sensorial pleasure, not just a necessity. But this top Tibetan leader, he says... um, this thing is okay. I'm going to give you a little bit of this because this is interesting. Uh, his name, Penpa Tsering, P-E-N-P-A-T-S-E-R-I-N-G. Penpa Tsering is the head of the Tibetan government in exile. He defended the spiritual leader, the Dalai Lama, according to reports on uh, Thursday during an event in the Indian capital city of New Delhi. And he said, His Holiness has always lived in sanctity following the life of a Buddhist monk, including celibacy. His years of spiritual practice have gone beyond sensorial pleasures, Sering said of the Dalai Lama. His holiness is now being labeled all kinds of names. Sering added that the widespread global outrage sparked by the video had hurt the followers of the Dalai Lama, and uh, this was again, and and others, excuse me, other exiled leaders of uh, the uh, Tibetan spiritual Buddhist movement. So, interestingly, I think this is of note because is this really a defense that anybody could use, right? Could you turn around and use a defense of, well, I'm beyond sensorial pleasures? So you can just start inviting women, inviting men, inviting children, inviting whomever to do whatever, and the answer is, well, you know, I'm not into that. I, I'm, I, don't, I, don't find, I don't derive pleasure from this. It, I don't have those senses. Are you kidding? You've got to be kidding. To me, this is a sham. It's uh, one of these things that really, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it in the least. Nobody says suck my tongue. No, not because I like the way it feels or because I'm into that. No, just because that's, you know, it's a typical hello. It's what we do. Uh, and according to, to the, the folks that wrote the article I cited on Monday, they said this is a normal custom for uh, not the sucking of the tongue, but, but the sticking out of the tongue is kind of like a greeting, a hello. So they say, I've never met anybody from Tibet that was like, you know, now you can't hear it, but I'm sticking my tongue out uh, as, a, as a form of greeting. Uh, if you are from Tibet and you want to set the record straight and uh, straighten me out a little bit, please feel free, 8334 Valdez. I would love to hear from you. Anyway. That's uh, the story on the Dalai Lama. The Supreme Court has temporarily put a halt on abortion pill restrictions. That's been going on all, all week long, and I think we'll see that going on a little bit more. Uh, President Biden uh, told the British, uh, excuse me, the Irish Parliament that it's time for us to go lick the world. Now, was he thinking like the Dalai Lama? Is it like a, a tongue-sucking extravaganza between Joe El Baboso Biden and the Dalai Lama? I don't know. I don't know, quite frankly. I can't comment on that. I'm just asking questions based on the headlines here. But uh, the Biden administration is approving 99% of illegal aliens seeking Title 42 exceptions. All right, look at that. Uh, a, a new way to keep that border wide open. And, you know, a lot of people get upset. And I used to get upset at this, too, honestly. I would say, well, you know, it's not like the border's open. It's just not secure. It's not like it's, there's nobody there. There's no fencing. There's no wall. There's no No, there's walls in certain parts. There's fencing in other parts. There's cops. There's checkpoints. There's a lot of dedicated, brave men and women. And I, I would never want to uh, slight them in any way. 
by saying that the border is just open. And, and I, that's how I feel. Um, but I do feel it's fair to say that Biden's policies are open border policies because he's made the border in many ways obsolete. He's allowed operational control of the border to go to the the people uh, who run the cartel. And this is just something that I can't I can't agree with. Right. I can't support and I can't say it's not an open border. So to that, I say, Biden, go lick the world by yourself. Listen to this. There's nothing our nations can't achieve if we do it together. I really mean it. So thank you all. God bless you all. Let's go. Let's go lick, lick the world. Let's get it done. Let's go lick the world and let's go get it done. All right, that's Joe Biden and his uh, potential running mate, the Dalai Lama, for uh, 2024. I'm kidding. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about some national security implications, some woke culture uh, stuff that's happening on college campuses and everywhere else, and a whole lot more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is not just about taking home documents. Uh, that is, of course, itself illegal. Uh, but this is about the transmission, uh, both the unlawful retention and the transmission of the documents. Everyone knows here that the documents in the end were uh, transmitted. There are very serious penalties associated with that. Uh, people who um, um, uh, sign agreements uh, to be able to receive classified documents, acknowledge the importance to the national security of not uh, disclosing those documents. Uh, and uh, we intend to, to uh, send that message, uh, how important it is uh, to our national security. Well, there you go. We're talking about national security. That's Merrick Garland. And it seems today he's concerned, concerned with national security uh, when he's putting parents... Um, in the category of uh, violent domestic extremists and domestic terrorists, not so concerned with national security, or at least not the security of parents. But that's Merrick Garland talking about this, um, the leaking and whatnot. And I wanted to get to the bottom of that and get uh, the opinion of my buddy, Professor Nick Giordano. He's a professor of political science at Suffolk Community College in New York. He's the host of the PAS Report. That's a podcast. You should check it out. And he is a fellow at uh, Campus Reform Nick Giordano, welcome, sir. Thank you for having me on, Rich. You got it, brother. Thanks for coming through. I know a lot of people uh, like to sleep at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, we like to talk around here, so I'm glad you're with us, brother. Let's talk about this thing. The way to thing. do it. That's how we do it. This this is uh, an interesting thing. Lots of different opinions. Yesterday I saw some people were saying, oh, it's no big deal. He's only 21. He uh, had even get these documents, blah, blah, blah. He's just sharing it online with a bunch of incels. And I thought, is it really not a big deal? Is it a, is it a small deal? I, I think it's a big deal whenever anybody does this. What's, what say you? It's a huge deal. I mean, you know, first of all, the age doesn't really matter. We sent 21-year-olds to be platoon leaders and take soldiers into the theater of war. So excellent. it's Good not point. the age thing. I think there's two stories going on right now. I think one is how do you have access to all this information? And the second story is what the documents actually show. So as, as far as the leaker goes, 
it's still an unusual story because I had a security clearance from 2010 just up until September of 2022. I worked as a federal contractor doing national security background investigations for clearances. Now, my clearance was top secret. Still never had access to top secret information. It's uh, Top secret information is on a need-to-know basis. And that's what makes this unusual. He was able to capture all this data and it, it ranges in subject material. If it was just about the Ukraine, okay, maybe his mission was about the Ukraine. Maybe that's what his intel analysis was about. But this goes far beyond that. This goes to a South Korean leader being spied on. We see the Egyptian military trying to uh, give arms, rockets, and munitions to Russia, where, where we provide the Egyptian military with a billion dollars a year in funding. So how did he have access to all this information? And there was no safeguards in place to ensure that when someone is in the SCIF, they can't just access any type of document they want to access. So it's very unusual. And there's a failure at the Department of Defense somewhere along the line, failure on this base and in the intelligence. And they need to secure that because you can't have these types of leaks go on. However, now that it is public information, it does have to be discussed. So, you know, my my question last night, we spoke with uh, Victoria Coates, former deputy national security advisor. And my question to her and, and excellent analysis. And I'm going to pr- present the um, the same question to you on your analysis is, is this guy a good guy or a bad guy? I, I think he's neither. I think he's a, a moron that wanted to feel more <laughs> important than it really was. In all honesty, that's what it's, it's about. Let's be honest. I mean, when someone goes to steal classified information and sell it over to the Chinese or the Russians or something, you understand, that's espionage. We see that happen. It does take place, and there's a motive behind it. When you look at the Edward Snowden case, uh, there's still questions about him. But if he just leaked out the NSA's prison program, you could say he wanted to expose government abuses, right? They were monitoring every single American collecting the metadata. With this kid, the motive was that he wanted to feel more important than he really was. And I think it really speaks to the volumes of this culture that we have where, we're, you know, we want to see the influencers. You see the young people, and it's all about trying to be important you go on these platforms and, and you know that's what he was doing and that's why he I, just, I don't look at him as a good guy or a bad guy he's, he's a moron that made a really stupid mistake and he's going to pay a really high price for it he's not going to get the hillary clinton treatment mm-hmm. i could assure you of that <laughs> he's not going to get uh, the uh, director of the fbi to come and read a note yeah. No, he, he won't be getting that. That that I can assure you. And he's not going to be able to destroy his hard drives. Now, what do you make of this? Um, this, and I guess uh, just to follow up on the last point, the, the the idea that he's a good guy or a bad guy or a hero or a villain, I think comes from because a lot of people, you know, look at things like that and they go like, "Oh, I'm glad because this Ukraine thing, you know, this is the the Ukraine war has become a a thorn in the side for a lot of people." And it's like they're they're defining issue. They're like, you know, we must stop this war in Ukraine. We have to stop giving the money. They're doing bad things with the money. They're bad. The Russians are good. There's others that say the Russians are bad. The Ukrainians are good. Then there's me that says the Russians are bad. The Ukrainians are bad. Right. I, I don't think any of them are good. And I'd say half of the Americans are bad that are involved in this stuff. Look at you know, starting with Biden and trickling its way down through his administration. But everybody has a different opinion. 
So I think uh, you were spot on in saying that, you know, in this situation, this was an equal opportunity moron trying to to flex for himself and I guess sell himself to the highest bidder. Um, but I, I also think, is it just him being an idiot or is he somebody that was uh, coaxed and handled by, you know, uh, a spying pro to turn him into the spy that he's become? You know, and part of me thinks that there's much more to this, that we don't know the whole story yet, and hopefully we find out what the full story is. Because, again, I still find it odd that he had access to a wide variety of subjects. Uh, because when you're in the military, your mission, you know, it's on one p- particular thing at one particular time. So uh, there may be more to this as of right now. I'll still classify him as the moron as far as the <laughs> issue of Ukraine. You know, people need to realize that we've worked with plenty of bad actors before. Sometimes you have to, but these documents are really interesting because what, what it does is it, it shows a very different picture than we've been told, right? So, so throughout the media, throughout the Biden administration, and even in members of Congress, both Republican and Democrat, they, they talk about how Ukraine's winning this thing, how, how Ukraine, as long as we give them the weapons and the funding, they, they'll succeed, they'll push out the Russians. But these documents portray a much different story, and it shows that they're losing and that the Russian military is still the more dominant military, which was obvious to pretty much everyone. Russia is recalibrating. They're refining. They, they had obviously a lot of stumbles at the beginning, but the Ukrainians are still a massive underdog, and it raises the question, is it worth it to throw good money after a cause that you think it's lost, but more importantly, why was the government lying to us? Why weren't they being straight up with us? And in the age where the government constantly touts the idea of misinformation and disinformation, well, they've been putting out misinformation for quite a while. And these documents make no mistake about it. They are embarrassing to the United States, no matter which way you put it. And it's part of a bigger picture of what's happening where we're seeing the collapse of the United States, right? So just take the Egypt thing. Our ally one of our best allies, North Africa, Middle Eastern region. We've given them $50 billion since 1979 doing a backdoor deal. Now, we don't think the rockets ever went to Russia in return for the grain. But the fact that Egypt was even discussing it with the Russians is embarrassing. You had Japan come out last week and say they're going to buy Russian oil. Embarrassing. You have Brazil. So the Biden administration backed the Lula government. The Lula government is now doing everything it can to undermine the U.S. dollar. It's That's right. This is part of a bigger picture. Well, let's pick up on that bigger picture right after the break. Folks, we're on with Professor Nick Giordano, host of the PAS Report. We're going to get to that straight ahead. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night. Our guest, Professor Nick Giordano. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And uh, I want to switch gears here and talk a little bit about uh, what we left off with, which is uh, Ukraine and um, and the point that you were making before the break. Uh, Professor Nick Giordano is our guest. He's the host of the PAS Report. Go right ahead, sir. So when we look at what's going on with the Ukraine, there's a broader picture. So a year ago, Joe Biden came out and the president and the State of the Union address said Russia is going to be more isolated than any other country on Earth and that they're working to do that. A year later, if we look at it, America is actually more isolated than ever before. Russia's GDP has went up 7.4 percent since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They're selling more oil and gas than ever before. And you're seeing nations abandon the United States. Just last week, you had the French President Macron visit Xi Jinping of China, announced that they have come up with a natural gas deal, and the French are going to be using Chinese currency in that trade. They also Mm -hmm. announced that France also announced that they're pulling away from the United States when it comes to Taiwan, and that Europe needs to plot its own course as Europe begins to reduce its dependency on the United States. Now, imagine that. We're the ones that are pretty much funding the Ukrainian thing. We've given Ukraine probably $160 billion at this point. Europe as a whole has given about 35 to $40 billion. And you have France, America's oldest ally, saying that they're going to have to reduce dependency on the United States and that Europe's got to plot its own course. So you have that going on. You have Colombia, which has been one of America's most solid allies in South America moving closer to China's sphere of influence, creating new trade deals with China. And then Brazil, that's what we left off with. You have Lula, who the Biden administration actually endorsed and pushed to get elected over Bolsonaro, who's now also moving closer to China. But even further, he wants to destroy the dollar. He's talking about how the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, should create a neutral currency in their August meeting, and that perhaps this new currency could reduce the dependency on the dollar. So what does that tell us when all these allies are moving away from us, including Saudi Arabia? Now Saudi Arabia has reinstated ties with Iran. Obviously, we've seen what they've done with OPEC and cutting oil production and moving closer to China, the United Arab Emirates. This administration has to be one of the most feckless and incompetent administrations. And they're the ones that have isolated America. And then look at what we have to discuss at the issues at home, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and this is where I think it puts us in a, in a bind, where p- people are, are upset on both sides. And I do believe we have to contribute to the security of, of, of Ukraine and, and other nations because you don't want this kind of instability for that exact reason, that it can eventually mess you up financially. And when we see that these um, these uh, enemies, adversaries, whatever you want to call them, are, are making moves on the dollar. Um, to me, it's concerning and it's embarrassing at the same time. And I feel like Biden's not it doing is. anything to stop it. But you know what it is? I mean, where in the world is Secretary of State Tony Blinken? Like, has anyone heard from him? Has anyone seen him? You don't see him at all. The Secretary of State's one of the most important positions in an administration. But here's the thing. We have yet to put on the table some type of diplomatic solution to the Ukraine incident. America has gotten what it's wanted. Everyone needs to be aware of that. So Russia is a natural adversary to the United States. They always will be because 
they seek power and influence in the international community. Our foreign policy is based on maintaining our power and influence. And so they, those automatically conflict. We weakened Russia. Russia's military has been exposed. We overestimated it for decades. Russia's military has been weakened throughout this Ukrainian incident. At the same time, we've given so much money to Ukraine that we actually can control Ukrainian policy and do and tell Zelensky to do whatever the hell we want. And so that's the amazing part. Put a diplomatic solution on the table. End this thing. It makes the United States look more powerful. Russia's weaker. The United States now fully controls Ukraine. And that's what should be going on. But as of right now, you have these people that live in the 1990s. They still believe that this is the 1990s, where America's the pinnacle power in the world and nobody could challenge us. And they don't realize that those days are gone right now. Because of the Biden administration, our military is at the weakest levels it's been. Our readiness levels are at the lowest since World War II. We have depleted stockpiles. You have 18 uh, percent of warrant officers believe the United States is fully ready for a war today, meaning 82 percent believe that we're not ready for a war. Right. Forty percent of generals believe that we're ready for a war. Sixty percent don't. And the warrant officers are the most important because they actually go on the battlefield and do the fighting. So they're the most important to look at. You look at our recruitment numbers. People aren't signing up for the military. The ones that are signing up for the military, we're having to drop standards because they're obese. They have criminal records. And we have to ask, you know, where is the competency in the United States? It seems like when you look at our government and you take any part of our government, whether it's state level, whether it's the federal level, take whatever agency you want. Where is the competency? We lost something, and we need to realize that and start getting competent people in these positions that know how to solve problems. So are you signing up for the job? No, I will not be running in 2024. It's, my <laughs> kids are still too young. Maybe in 2028. We'll see what happens. All right, folks, we're on with <laughs> Professor Nick Giordano. Uh, he's the host of the PAS Report. And uh, Nick, tell us a little bit quickly about the PAS Report before we um, go into the next segment and discuss your campus reform work. The PAS Report, we fo- I focus on all the issues. So basically, it's like a classroom, right? It's, it's the way I teach some of my courses. Obviously, I take my opinions on the podcast where I don't bring my opinions into the classroom. But it's to discuss the issues because most issues – you can't discuss in a three-and-a-half-minute soundbite. They're, they're complex, and we have to talk about where the United States is going. What do we want the United States to be going forward? And are we going to leave the country that we grew up in to our children, or is our country going to be something radically different? And because of what's going on today, it appears that we're going to do the latter, that this is a radically changing country, and it's not because the majority of people feel this way, this, this wokeism that's infecting society, it's because it's being forced on everyone. All right, folks, that's Professor Nick Giordano. He's coming back with us. We're going to talk about his work with Campus Reform, where he's a higher education fellow. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and our guest, Professor Nick Giordano. Uh, you um, left off with, uh, or I left off with a tease on your latest work with Campus Reform, and uh, the one I'm looking at is about diverting diversity, equity, and inclusion funding to make a real impact. Uh, Tell us about it. Well, I I think it's important. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, social justice, it swept the nation. It's now being incorporated into degree requirements on college campuses throughout the country. And one of the things that people need to look at is the money, right? So the money is the main driver. This has become a billion-dollar industry. And if we look at it, so $9.6 billion was spent last year. It's estimated to go up to $15 billion within the next couple of years. And colleges, that's where a lot of the money is spent. Your taxpayer dollars are going to a lot of these initiatives. And they don't do anything. So our Academic proficiency levels in K through 12 are at the lowest levels in 30 years. We've seen drop in the ACT scores and SAT scores by 30%. We have the widest academic achievement gap that's ever existed because the unions kept schools closed in the cities for nearly two years. Students can't read, write, do math at the college level. Most students coming into college now need to go through remedial courses. So they're thoroughly unprepared. And so Why are we wasting so much money on diversity, equity, and inclusion when it's going to do nothing to improve anything that I just mentioned, where we could take that money and actually use it towards things that would improve? So one of the ways that we can improve the education system is by going to school choice, right? Let the tax dollars follow the student. And if parents feel that their child is attending a failing school, They should be able to pull that child out and send that child to a school that's not failing, that's going to educate their children, that's going to teach their children how to read and write and indoctrinate them. And that's one of the ways you do it. Another thing, we see the cost of college tuition. It's surging. It has surged. Student loans, it's out of control. And the debt bubble, it's insane. So why not use that funding to offset tuition costs for all Americans and think about how that helps the underrepresented communities. So the two things I mentioned would do more for underrepresented communities than any DEI initiative would. So let the tax dollars follow the students, start reducing tuition rates, offset tuition, and then when it comes to the colleges, invest more money into job placement, into career services. You know, in any business, the, the End result, the the product is what matters, right? So the product is students getting a degree so they could start careers. Well, if students are graduating from these colleges and nobody's hiring them, well, then how? what's the worth of that degree? Well, it's virtually nothing. So why don't we invest more in career services where while you're going to school, they're working with employers to place you in a position once you graduate so that you get the skills necessary and start advancing in your career. Those three things alone would by far and away do much more for any American than any diversity, equity, and inclusion program. But, you know, it seems to me like it's never enough. And they, the way they went after, I mean, just a famous example of that 
um, and not just DEI, but trans and uh, um, critical transgender theory, critical race theory. These, um, uh, speaking of people in your world, right, um, Professor Jordan Peterson in Canada, it went after him uh, several years ago and put him on the map in a major way. And um, it, it seems like they, they won't stop beating up guys like him. Uh, thank God they're not beating up guys like you. But it's a, it's fascinating to me that they just won't let up. They won't because it, it, that's what diversity, equity, and inclusion is really about, though. And that's what everyone needs to know. It, it's not about uplifting anyone. It's not about helping underrepresented communities. It's about pushing a political agenda. That's what it comes down to. And what they want to do, and we, we're witnessing them, right? So it used to be that colleges were considered indoctrination centers. But when you're pushing this stuff to children as young as kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, well, at least I could say in college, they're young adults. They should be able to think for themselves by that point. But when you're pushing it to kids that young, that's no longer indoctrination. That's brainwashing because no child is going to push back on their teachers in, in that manner. They think thinking what the teacher says is golden. So it's a political agenda that's being pushed. It's an attempt to destroy the American identity because that's what it really comes down to because they despise America. They despise what America stands for, and they want to issue usher in this, this Marxist world that they think that they can make successful, even though Marxism has failed anywhere it's been implemented. 100% right. Uh, folks, our guest, Professor Nick Giordano, host of the PAS Report. He's a higher education fellow at Campus Reform, professor uh, of political science at Suffolk County Community College and a friend of this program. Uh, professor Nick Giordano, I want to thank you for being with us. Very enlightening. Always a pleasure, Rich. Thank you. All right. Godspeed to you, my friend. Uh, your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, so we're discussing lots of um, lots of topics, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's the leaked documents and uh, the misuse of diversity, equity and inclusion and what they really want to get uh, to behind the scenes there with our buddy Professor Nick Giordano. And the phones are open. Let us go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to my man, Brandon. Brandon Bryce coming out of the D. What's up, Brandon? What's going on, Richie V? Talk to me. How are you, my man? How's life treating you these days? You know what? Oh, all is well. All is well. You know, we are uh, we're experiencing... Wokeness in America, and uh, you know, to all your listeners, I think it's important to understand, you know, what wokeness has become, uh, and what wokeness really means uh, in this, you know, in, in Biden's America. Well, don't leave us hanging. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting. You know. Let's go back to 
diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, that's important because we want you know, our institutions to be diverse. We want our institutions to be inclusive. Um, but the challenge when you talk about equity, you got to be careful because you're talking about the standard. And as we've seen with things like Common Core and many other uh, things, whether you're talking about education or whether you're talking about, you know, what does equity mean? And some say, oh, it means fairness. But here's the problem with that. You know, when you talk about equality, we're saying that we're giving everybody the fair shot and the fair start to be successful. So we're being fair across the board. Uh, we're raising the level of quality of education. And so we want fair treatment for most people in the United States, most Americans, et cetera. But when we use this term equity, and I don't know if you've seen this, but many people, they use the diagram of, you know, one kid gets uh, a little bit more than the next kid, a little bit more than the next kid when, in terms of raising them to see over the gate. But here's the problem with that. When you, know, when you talk about what is equitable, equitable doesn't always mean that the standard is high. In fact, equitable oftentimes means that the standard may be subpar. Uh, we try to be equitable in education. You know what it got us? Uh, low, low literacy rates. Uh, it got us, uh, you know, numbers in our education system that in some cases are abysmal and, and are the reason that we have so many charter schools popping up. And so it's one of those things, it's like when people say, oh, you know, the schools need more money. No, they don't. Because as we saw, you know, we've got teachers driving in, you know, uh, Maybachs and Maseratis, and the kids are barely learning uh, their lesson. In fact, some of the kids are still graduating, but they're reading at eighth and seventh grade reading levels in high school. Uh, and how do we know this? Well, we know this because when we're talking about the jobs being the jobs of tomorrow and you know, are Americans prepared for those jobs? In many cases, they're not. Um, the issue, Rich, is people say, well, you know, it, it, you know, the, the, there's not enough jobs to go around. Well, that's not entirely true. Um, the jobs are here. The question is, are people qualified to do the jobs? And that's an education problem. Uh, yeah. that is not a, you know, that's a parent problem and that's an education problem. And until we fix that, you know, when we, instead of focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion, how about we focus on, I'm going to coin a term on your show, Rich, diversity, mm -hmm. opportunity, and inclusion. I love uh, it. And let me ask you real, real quick before we run out of time, Brandon, tell everybody if, if they want to hear more about what you're talking about. I know you have a show, uh, The Bryce is Right. That's Bryce with a B. Let everybody know how they could hear that. The Bryce is Right, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. Real news, real people, straight to the point. All right, my man, Smooth B, Brandon Bryce, calling from, he's from Detroit, but lately he's been in uh, Biden country in Delaware. So good talking to you, my man. Talk to you soon. Anyway, folks, there's more to come on your call straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 
5337. Almost forgot the number. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. The conversation continues on how to heal from PTSD. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media if you want to chime in that way or give us a call. We're taking your calls all night long uh, intermittently as we uh, have our conversations with our guests. And then, of course, in the next hour, at the top of the next hour, midnight Eastern time till 1 a.m. Eastern time, we will be doing Open Phone America where you're able to call in on our late-night national live town hall forum and uh, chime in on your opinions. So I want to talk about a few things. The uh, San Francisco City Council has disbanded a a meeting because vandalism interrupted their internet connection while they were denying that crime was rising in the area. (laughs) That's crazy. And then you have uh, the Biden administration's considering uh, regulation for artificial intelligence uh, with respect to disinformation and discriminatory outcomes. Look at that. Then the um, Securities and Exchange Commission has sided with conservatives in allowing uh, a vote to uh, probe political and religious discrimination at PayPal. So we'll talk about those uh, as we continue our conversation. But I wanted to direct your attention to a headline that uh, the comedian Kathy Griffin, who was famous for holding a severed head of President Donald Trump, then President Donald Trump, uh, in effigy, uh, she's been diagnosed with an extreme case of complex PTSD. And this is uh, interesting, right? The comedian uh, was on TikTok about this post-traumatic stress disorder, and it, it's uh, obviously this affects lots of people, uh, but uh, hers is being labeled as a weird type or a, a difficult type, and uh, she only discovered this after having hours of pain in bed um, as a result of this this uh, post-traumatic stress. So... Um, I saw the, the video. She does look like she's in pain. She looks um, worn out. And I wish her the best. I really do, despite any political disagreement. And there are new treatments for PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, anxiety. And uh, according to uh, KSL.com, there's a lot of people that are trying it. The American Psychiatric Association states that PTSD is uh, on the rise, uh, but there are new treatments for it. And a treatment that's often not spoken of is a more holistic one, a more spiritual one. And it's one that I wanted to discuss with our guest, Dr. Tim Murphy. He's the author of the book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Hear from, uh, excuse me, to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. Dr. Murphy, welcome. It's great to be with you tonight. Thank you for having me on. 
It's my pleasure. So I think there's a lot of people that, you know, use the term PTSD somewhat flippantly. And there are people that genuinely go through PTSD and and other uh, trauma and tragedy. And they're they're looking for a way. They're looking for a, a relief in some way. And some turn to alcohol and drugs and others, you know, have these co-occurring disorders that go along with it, whether it's eating disorders or anxiety or stress or whatever and what have you. Um, but you, you've devoted uh, a lot of your work to this as a psychologist and a mental health advocate. And I, I want you to share with the audience what you've come up with and what you've documented in your book, The Christ Cure. Sure. Uh, and thanks for asking about it. So my book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD, is a slightly different approach to a very important problem than an approach that's really been around for thousands of years, but we forgot how it works. I should start off by defining what PTSD, post-traumatic stress, is. It isn't just having a bad day. It's not having a scary movie or difficulties. It is something that becomes extremely intense, life-threatening, losing a limb, uh, a close family member or something dying, witnessing a horrific event. It could be something that happens naturally from a disaster, such as flooding, hurricanes, tornado, um, fire. It could also be something that occurs when we see in soldiers and police officers and firefighters who face uh, horrible uh, situations in their life. As one policeman told me when he brought a, a baby who had been killed out of a building, he said, I can't unsee the things that I've seen. Or paramedics who face trauma on a daily basis, and the way they describe it is the worst day of your life is every day for them. So these are, these are situations that bring about this traumatic response, but there's another way too. And these are things we bring upon ourselves. Now, the first two groups, there's lots of people to support you in many aspects there. The third one, maybe a person has committed a crime. Maybe they're addicted to drugs or alcohol or gambling or some other addiction, uh, something they've done to themselves. Not so many people have pity for you or will support you. And they may indeed abandon you. But the issues that happen when we face a traumatic event, the brain goes through this process. It just gets overwhelmed. The, there's parts of our brain, something called the amygdala. It's about the size of the top or your thumb from the knuckle on. That's your fight, flight, fear center of the brain. That's your smoke detector. That's saying something horrible is going wrong. It's a very important part of the brain. It sets the whole body on alert, but kind of dumb. It doesn't know quite what's happening, but it sets up that alert. And when we first face this terrible uh, tragedy. It, it's like our, our brain takes a photograph of it, like a, a flashbulb memory. Uh, intensive hormones go through our system. The, the brain sets up fiber tracks to remember that. We can remember insignificant details, the sight, the sound, the smell, the taste, the touch. All those things occur. And then what happens is we can never change the past. But the part that really leads to severe problems for us is the memory loop. And this loop memory will replay that uh, incident hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times over the years. And what that's doing is reinforcing that response in our brain. And that in turn means that every time that amygdala senses there's something going wrong, it sends out those same stress hormones, which can lead to joint pain and aches and a lower threshold for pain, depression, anxiety, nightmares, hypervigilance, all of these take place. Because the body is trying to say we're in danger, but we're really not. It's the memory of that that goes on. And then a third level that occurs, what I call the reaction reaction. We sense these feelings of depression and anxiety, and we start to think, wow, I'm, I'm not getting better. I really am 
broken. And so we're reacting to our own symptoms there, and we become our symptoms. So these levels occur, but something that's very important, it has to be post-traumatic. There has to be a trauma that has occurred. There's other types of depression, anxiety, and other issues, but that's what it is. Now, for years, people have treated this with talk therapy, medication, but we have to understand this about medication. It could change how you feel, but it won't change how you think. And, and changing the way we mm. think is a very important part of processing this. And what we look at here, one final point is that as, as the brain is reacting to this, what a lot of people notice is to say, I, I just can't think right anymore. I'm, I'm in a mental fog. I, I don't have the same attention span. I can't solve problems. I, I've lost my memory. Uh, I get lost on the way home. I can't find my wallet anymore. Uh, and this is all the brain on overload. And the front of our brain, which is supposed to be the logical problem solving, it's not working well anymore. And so we remain mired in this depression, in this anxiety and struggle, and we have to find a way out because it affects our mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual self. And it is the combination of those four which I address in my book. Outstanding. Well, Dr. Tim Murphy is the author of the book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from, excuse me, I keep saying that, (laughs) heal from trauma, tragedy, and PTSD. And Dr. Murphy, I'd like you to stick with us. I'd like to continue uh, the conversation, learn a little bit more about the book and these 10 ways that you've identified uh, now that you've laid out how PTSD is working. And and it was a really great explanation, which um, made a lot of sense to me. So I'm looking forward to the rest of this conversation. And I'm pretty sure our listeners are as well. If you have a question for uh, Dr. Uh, Tim Murphy, feel free to give us a call. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Our guest, Dr. Tim Murphy, uh, former congressman from Pennsylvania and author of The Christ Cure. And I want to um, take a call from Jeff in Wilmington, Delaware, on WDEL. Jeff, quickly, go right ahead. Thank you. Um, Welcome, Dr. Tim. I am a retired health department instructor, and my question is, because I was teaching courses related to this, um, what about the promising drug MDMA, which is a derivative of the drug ecstasy? Is there any hope with that as well? Thank you, Jeff. Well, thank thank you, Jeff. I'm, I'm not a believer in those things. I know some people will use them. I think there's other things in each case that's supposed to give a person some insight and relax as other drugs. Ketamine is antidepressants. My approach is something different than, than that. I know some veterans look at MDMA as a possibility. If it was that good, I think a lot of people would be prescribing it. What I talk about in my book is really looking at several things. Talk therapy can be important. Some medications can be important. Mm-hmm. But, but the different approach in my book is understanding that faith is a big factor here. And when we look at research of what helps people who have survived trauma and are still struggling with it, that those who are regular practitioners of religion and turn towards faith have a different level of hope because they're not just looking at a drug to subdue an emotion. They actually are reworking their own resilience, their resistance, and their recovery and their renewal. 
And what my book does is track this not only through stories of things that or there's things I've known in the military, my Navy service, or stories of everyday people, or quite frankly, mm-hmm. my own traumas. But it's a matter of understanding that uh, in the Bible, it's filled with stories about people who have failed and gotten back up. That, that's basically what it is, whether it's Job losing everything, or in this case, when I talk a lot about the Apostle Paul, and most people don't understand, if he was a guy who was blinded at one point, used to hunt down Christians, and then he became one, who was beaten with rods three times, who was whipped 39 lashes five times, who was stoned and left for dead, who was run out of town, robbed, uh, chained to a wall of a Roman prison for two years, uh, how he uh, was uh, in a ship disaster for two weeks in the Mediterranean, floated around on a piece of wood for a day and a half, bitten by a snake. Any one of those things should have given him overwhelming emotions, to made of, uh, but he didn't. And the real question is why. And when I, when I was researching this book, I thought, surely... Someone must have written a book about the Apostle Paul and why he didn't have PTSD, and it wasn't one. So this is the first one of this. But I should say this book is written not just for those who struggle with trauma and tragedy in their life, but the people who love them and are also trying to figure out, how do I help my brother, sister, son, daughter, or or spouse? Mm. And also for counselors who really get very little training on the role of faith. In fact, a lot of counselors avoid it because they don't know what to do. And the other one is clergy. About 40% of people will turn towards clergy, their priest or, or minister or the rabbi, with deep concerns. But most clergy, 90%, say they don't quite know how to do it. So this is, think of this as a how-to guide, or the, what I call a handbook for the broken, to recover from that. And the power of this is when people realize there's a lot they can do themselves with this and working with a counselor, it becomes more their ownership. They don't have to just use drugs to, to handle their emotions, but they can rework and understand. And look, I can't change the path. I have to accept what's there, but I can commit to a better future. I can understand that I can be whole and healed. And prayer is an important part of that. There's many persons who, who have seen, and I've seen it multiple times in the military, that those who look towards understanding what happens biblically and look towards their relationship with God makes a massive difference in their healing. That's it's an outstanding point that you're making, and, and even um, one that's not just um, rooted in faith. While I, I appreciate that you underscored faith, I, I think there's a, a general consensus in um, in the mental health world. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've read and others I've interviewed, where there's a lot of emphasis on talk therapy and cognitive behavior therapy and people really, you know, reworking themselves so that they can improve their situation as opposed to relying on, on medicine that works one way versus another way. And that is true. But the question is, if a person doesn't have faith, I ask my patient, then where do you go for hope? And I ask people, do you want to heal or do you want to hurt? Do you want to Many people feel tremendous shame. They feel, I'm broken. God made a mistake when God made me. There's no hope for me. And I say, no, let's work with guilt, because guilt means if you made a mistake, you reconcile that, you apologize, you do what you have to do. But the other part is forgiveness. And a big part of a traumatic event is people feel a sense that I'm to blame. I, I need to be condemned, whether it's something that the individual has caused or they're blaming themselves that if only I lived a different life, this never would have happened to me. But where does forgiveness come from? And that's where those people who have religious faith, have the advantage they're recognizing that forgiveness is there. But even cognitive behavioral therapy, which you pointed out, many people think, well, that was invented in the 20th century and went on. I would like to think it was rediscovering the wheel, because what the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans 12, too, is to be Be transformed transformed. Mm -hmm. by a renewing of the mind. 
that's exactly what cognitive behavioral therapy is, where people talk about journaling, writing down your experiences, getting some insight. Well, that's what Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, can I just pay attention to now and not worry about the past or future? Well, that's what Jesus said in Luke. You can't, don't worry about the future. The future will take care of itself. Can't deal with the past. All these lessons are there. And since most people don't read the Bible, I say, even if you're not a believer, what I, my book is designed, even if someone is not a believer, to read it and learn the lessons of people who have overcome it. Because when we're depressed, when we're traumatized, we get involved with what I call the arrogance of self-pity. We are so concerned, I'm using we for a reason here, we were so concerned that there's no one who can love me, I can't get out of this, that when mm. we stop and realize, wait a minute, people have come through this before, and they come out not just as survivors, but better, faster, stronger, uh, and that is the point I want to get across. There's tremendous hope here through this approach. Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, folks, we're on with Dr. Tim Murphy. Uh, and we're discussing his book. I always recommend getting two copies of the book, one for yourself, one to give away. The uh, Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. And uh, I, I appreciate the point that you made, because while there is um, emphasis on people using talk therapy as opposed to uh, medication and whatnot, ultimately, I think the, the true healing in talk therapy comes from people forgiving others or forgiving themselves. And if they can't figure out how to get to forgiveness because of a detachment from faith or just reticence toward the idea of it, then voila, you're right. This, you know, enter the, the need for, uh, for faith and, uh, and a real benefit or value add for having it. So yeah, excellent point. Brilliant conversation. Uh, again, the book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD by Dr. Tim Murphy. Um, sir, let us know where we can get copies of the book, and like I said, get two. Well, you can uh, buy it anywhere that books are sold. You can get, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, or go online. I also, uh, you can go through my website, which is drtimmurphy.com, abbreviate D-R-T-I-M-M-U-R-P-H-Y. I also post podcasts there. Please sign up for those on Rumble, Spotify, and also blogs, because I know that there's much more than beyond this book. And people could communicate with me there, too, you know, that there's much more beyond this, where people need continued work. But I hope that anybody who's listening, whether it's yourself struggling or you have a loved one who's struggling, Please think of this as a way to bring back and understand that we're loved, there's opportunity, there's forgiveness, and I believe a great deal of hope for us to heal from this. Outstanding. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant book. Uh, thank you, Dr. Tim Murphy. I'm hoping that you'll come back because we didn't even get to touch on your Navy service and your expertise in traumatic brain injury. So I hope you'll come back and we can have that conversation. Anytime. I'll make sure we do that. You bet. Thank you for joining us, sir. Godspeed to you. Anyway, straight ahead, uh, we're going to discuss AI, artificial intelligence. Don't go anywhere.
All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to continue. There is a story in a publication. Hold on, where did it go? It is being elusive right now. Here we go. Uh, the Alaska Landmine, and here's the headline. The Alaska House of Representatives has, uh, well, one of the representatives has used artificial intelligence to write a bill legalizing gambling on Alaskan ferries. And I thought, man, this is interesting because this guy, his name's Jesse Sumner uh, from Wasilla, Alaska. He used the Microsoft Bing AI co-pilot to write a bill that legalizes gambling on Alaska ferries. And he told um, this outlet, landmine that he submitted the idea for the bill to the legislature's lawyers back in January, but they failed to get a draft back to him. So he got the, he got the idea after initially seeing that AI could help him with house bill 86. And this is again, a bill about something else, but the the idea here is that you now have members of state houses of representatives, uh, you know, the state assembly and whatnot, using artificial intelligence to write bills. Now, we have a wonderful affiliate in Alaska. Give it to me one more time. KVNT. And I want to give them a shout out because if you're listening from Alaska, give us a call. And, uh, you know, we don't always get a ton of news coming out of Alaska. So a big shout out to KVNT and our friend Kelly Chewbacca. Now, I want to bring in uh, an expert. She's from Harvard in tech and she's a PR and media strategist. Uh, she's uh, a lawyer and uh, she's the chair of the Metropolitan Republican Party in New York City. Krisha Lenzo, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. You bet. So let's um, let's. Uh, analyze this the way only you could. What do you make of this using AI to uh, author you know, legislation at the state level? Wow. Um, it is definitely an interesting story. And um, there are pros and cons with AI. And in this case, it seems to be like there might be a, a pro here, given the fact that um, this uh, individual is unable to get the bill passed otherwise, or at least get, in it, get it written up. So there is some uh, pros in that it could be very efficient. That being said, there are some major cons to AI, and we can definitely get into that. But um, it's, it's definitely a tool that people can use in many industries to really eliminate redundancies and also just to, to generally try to yeah, create efficiencies. Now, I just want to remind everybody that uh – you are a regular face on uh, Newsmax TV and other uh, television uh, programs, giving your expert commentary, legal analysis, political uh, uh, commentary as well. And uh, and you can check out Krisha on TV. But while we have you here, what's your overall thought on what we're seeing with AI, what we're seeing with deep fakes, what we're seeing with the Pope in a puffer jacket and everything else that's coming out of the world of AI? I would tend to agree with Elon Musk here that the technology is actually overall more dangerous than it is good. Uh, right now, we have about 100 million users who are currently using the tool ChatGPT, um, which is based in AI technology. Elon Musk was actually part of the initial founding, so he, of all people, knows 
that this technology is basically like a runaway train. Um, and actually over 1 billion visitors use the chat GPT site per month. So it's so pervasive. And the problem with this is, is that if we don't continue examining AI in the United States and we stop the research, other countries, it's an arms race. They'll get ahead of us. But China has, has stopped chat GPT. Italy has stopped more, you know, oppressive governments. North Korea has, has prevented people from using this technology. I don't know if they're right or not in doing this, but certainly there needs to be some sort of regulation when it comes to AI because it basically has no guardrails. Yeah. You know, and I want to switch gears quickly um, because you mentioned something and, and it, uh, it, it jogged the thought for me. Uh, but you mentioned China banning this, and I'm thinking, well, if China's banning it, then it's it's likely going to get banned in the United States because Joe Biden seems to take his lead from China, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, yeah. speaking of China, right, uh, there's a lot of push coming out of China with working with other countries to really replace or displace the United States dollar as the reserve currency in so many different ways. Um, mm-hmm. What's your thought on that? I think this was unfortunately inevitable. And the fact that other countries such as Brazil and Saudi Arabia, of course, other countries, they're going along with it. That's even more incredible and scary. I don't think ultimately that the Chinese yuan is going to replace the dollar. I, it's just, it's not possible, but again, we're talking about it right now being something that's relevant, that certain countries are considering it as a potential global currency. So they're getting us talking about it, and, and that in and of itself might manifest. I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case. It will likely not be the case, though. All right. Well, that's that's optimistic. Folks, we're on with Christian <laughs> Lenzo. And, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm really – It's um, I come from a real place of um, – of ignorance on this. I have no idea, right? You know, I've, I've always thought that ah, that's never going to happen. And now we're having all these conversations popping up and I think that's just smoke. It's just a little bit of dust, but, but it seems like there's more of it every day. So I don't know, you know, this could be uh, the time where we live in new, t- new times of, uh, of new precedent setting times. We'll see. Anyway, Chris, Chris Lenzo is our guest and uh, she is going to continue with us uh, throughout this half hour. So if you want to join the conversation, feel free to do so. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Today, Ireland's story is no one's to tell but its own. But the United States will be your closest partner, your most dependable partner, and your most enthusiastic supporter every step of the way, I promise you. We've always been, and we've been together, and we're going to continue to grow our enormous economic relationship as a foundation for both our nation's prosperity. We're going to continue to strengthen our economies, building them from the bottom up and the middle out. All right, he's... He's building it from the bottom up, from the middle out, because he's got hairy legs, and he's going to go lick the world. That's Joe Biden talking about the economy. And uh, our guest is Krisha Lenzo. Now, Krisha, I, I want to um, get your take here on 
on what what grade do you give Joe Biden on the economy? I don't. Is there anything worse than an F? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just it's the economy right now. What it appears to be going on is in, there's a lag. Uh, whether it's the jobs market, whether it's inflation numbers, which this past week seem to be going down. I think despite all that, we're having, we're going to have a potential mild recession. People are predicting this because of the way the Fed has reacted to a lot of this data and, and even, uh, the fact that the banking, the recent banking crisis has not been factored into a lot of the Federal Reserve's decision making. And the Federal Reserve under Joe Biden's administration has been completely uh, negligent and, and somewhat political in their actions, especially the lack of oversight over Silicon Valley Bank. I think that was a combination of negligence on, on multiple levels, but also under the, the lack of supervision of, under the Federal Reserve chair out of San Francisco. So there, there's a lot of problems here. I don't want to be Dr. Doom on, on the other line, but I think that at the at the end of the day, people we are starting to see mass layoffs in various industries, and it will ultimately catch up to us. That we can only go this this long, um, you know, only for so long. That is before we have to ultimately deal with the run up in inflation and the massive spending that Joe Biden, under his administration, has really put forward. Is your is your thought that in order to deal with what you're talking about, this reckoning is um, continued rake heights to level off inflation or are you referring to something else? I mean, I think that's part of it. I think the Fed will continue to increase uh, the rate hikes, um, despite the fact that I, I don't necessarily many economists also are saying that that's that we probably shouldn't at this point. Um, but because they've been so lax for so long, especially under the Obama administration, we're paying for it now. And it's very unfortunate. Um, it, COVID certainly played a huge part of it. And we have to worry about it. I mean, people, whether or not we're looking at the unemployment rate, which I think also is is not necessarily accurate in, in that it doesn't talk about um, the, the participation rate of those people who are actually looking for jobs that eliminates that set of people. Um, it's, it's not, I don't necessarily think I'm a little skeptical of some of the numbers that are being reported. And I think the, the fed might be relying too heavily on these numbers. Um, so I, I do believe though, that they will continue the hikes. That's, that's what they're saying at least. Now you mentioned um, Silicon Valley bank and the lax oversight there. And there's been a lot of um, criticism and critique of former President Donald Trump um, and his loosening of the rules in the banking sector back in 2018. Uh, today, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation uh, chairman, Travis Hill, he says, quote, it had nothing to do with the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Uh, it goes on to say, quote, we have people searching under the couch, the couch cushions, under the carpets, under the mattress, in the storage closet, trying to find something somewhere to tie the SB, uh, the SVB failure to that law and its implementing rules. Uh, Hill said that during a speech at the Bipartisan Policy Center, saying, I think it's quite obvious that that law had nothing to do with this. What's your take on that? 
Well, when it um, comes to Dodd Frank and uh, the the you know the amount of money that banks are required to have um, and, and and insure um, when it comes to their lending, um, it was bipartisan. Uh, when, under Trump's in, administration, it was a bipartisan vote to relax some of those rules because I mean even Barney Frank. Uh, said that it, it really had nothing to do with what occurred at Silicon Valley Bank. So I, I would agree with that assessment. Um, but I think the Federal Reserve does need to take as much accountability as the Silicon Valley Bank CEO because there was a lack of oversight. Who was looking at this bank? Why didn't they realize that the bank was in high-yield bonds and, and inflation rates were going up and people were taking money out and they were over levered. So it just, it is very frustrating because there's so much lack of accountability here. And I just don't think this banking crisis even needed to happen. Um, it was something that could likely would, in my opinion, would have, could have been prevented. So banking turmoil caused by Silicon Valley bank mismanagement, not by Trump era rollbacks. And uh, I think Correct. there's agreement across the board there with uh, with you and me and the FDIC official, um, Travis. So, all right, cool. Uh, we're going to continue with your call straight ahead. Chris Lenzo is sticking with us. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Let's go to caller John, Ocean City, New Jersey, WPG. Go right ahead. You're on with Chris Lenzo and Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, let me get off speaker because this, this phone is very weird. Hold on a second. Well, maybe I can't. Oh, wait. That's yeah, great yeah. that you're ready. Uh, yes, yes, sir. Um, if we go back to olden times, you know, if we go back to Nebuchadnezzar, he had an idol or a statue made of himself and the four uh, kids, uh, Jewish kids refused to bow to the idol. You're talking about Shabrak, Meshach, and Abednego? Yes, sir. But I just couldn't get it off the tip of my tongue, so I figured I would <laughs> the four <laughs> Jewish kids. All right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, now the Apostle John talked about the image of the beast, uh, that an image was made unto the beast, unto the likeness of the beast, and it could speak and cause as many as would not bow to the uh, beast would be thrown into, uh, no, would be beheaded. So yeah. actually, that sounds a lot like artificial intelligence to me. Fascinating, fascinating. I, I never had that take on it um, with respect to artificial intelligence, uh, but um, you're talking about John's epistles that he wrote on the island of Patmos. And uh, interesting take, Chris Alenzo, is AI um, the, the worst thing that could possibly happen to us right now? Thanks, John. I don't think it's the complete worst, because I do think there are positive use cases for it, um, as in the case of the Alaska lawmaker. But I do think it's very dangerous. Again, it's it's like a runaway train. There are no guardrails when it comes to this technology. And a lot of negative effects could be a result of this, including misinformation. 
particularly when it comes to even election our elections and their integrity where we've already experienced misinformation on, on many levels so this can be this technology can be incorporated not only on ChatGPT but in many other applications um, Apple actually took a program off its app store because it was giving children misinformation and actually even inappropriate information that it was not the, having the, the right ratings for, for kids. So it deplatforms an app because of chat GPT. So I agree. I think overall at this point, it is more negative than positive and it is seemingly like a monster. All right. Now, Chris Alenzo, um, at Chris Alenzo on all the social media, by the way, let everybody know um, how they can follow you and if there's any websites that they can keep in touch with you. Yeah. So thank you so much for that shout out. Um, active on Twitter at Chris Alenzo, K-R-Y-S-I-A. It's the Polish name. Uh, it's tough to spell L-E-N-Z-O. Um, I'm pretty active there or on Instagram, the same uh, username. And if you also want to follow, uh, I'm, I'm at the Metropolitan Republican Club, uh, metclubnyc.org. You can follow us there and uh, learn all about our events in New York if you're, if you're based in Manhattan. All right. And uh, where can people see you? What, what's your next stop? When are we going <laughs> to see you on TV or, or on radio? Yeah. What's, what's on the agenda for you? <laughs> I'm actually on Newsmax tomorrow, so that'll be fun. Um, I've, I've been a commentator on Newsmax talking about some business issues as well as local politics in New York. Um, so, yeah, you can check me out tomorrow morning. I'll be on talking right. about some business issues. Outstanding. Well, Chris Alenzo, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. It's such an honor to be with you. Likewise. Thank you. All right, folks, more uh, to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America, where you get to call in and weigh in and uh, let everybody know what's on your mind. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337 is the number. It's Open Phone America. And what I love about Open Phone America, personally, is that we uh, we get to have this late night town hall forum where you get to chime in. It really is, uh, you know, maybe it's cheesy from my perspective, but uh, I, I love it. <laughs> I love the fact that we get to have so much um, interaction with people in real time, you know, and people tell me, they're like, well, you can do that on Twitter. No, you really can't. I don't get the vocal inflection. I don't get the, uh, you know, let's say you're like, you know, a, a thick New York accent. You're like, hey, Rich, how you doing? You know, you don't get any of that on Twitter, right? There's no personality when people are calling in from different places. And I see we got calls coming in already. We've got our buddy Gil in the Philippines. We're going to get to him straight ahead when we um, kick off uh, the next hour. But it's great when you have people that are weighing in and you can actually get to know who these people are. And uh, I don't know, that's just one of those things that I love. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you there, 833-482-5337. The other thing I wanted to remind you of is if you missed any of the excellent conversations we had tonight, make sure you check out the podcast. You can get all of that information and you can stream the show live from anywhere. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here on this station because... Open Phone America starts right now.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. You're always welcome to call in on the Legacy Line. That's always open and will remain there. And uh, looking forward to speaking with you guys. Uh, just a few headlines, because there is plenty that's that's been going on. Uh, with respect to the Supreme Court temporarily halting the uh, the restrictions that have been placed on abortion pills, uh, Biden uh, has in fact told the Irish Parliament that we should let's go lick the world. Yeah, he did that, and um, the administration is currently approving ninety nine percent of anybody seeking a Title forty two exception. So we continue to allow people into the country. Uh, as they say, willy-nilly, and the SEC has sided with conservatives in allowing for uh, a vote to probe political and religious discrimination at PayPal. So that's part of what's happening there. And there's more we'll get to, uh, but some of the ones I wanted to get to, listen to this one. At least six female teachers have been arrested for sexual misconduct with their students over two days across the United States. Six teachers in two days, right? Now, people always say, oh, Rich, you're take, you always uh, take exception to the teachers. I'm not taking exception to the teachers. I take exception to crazy stuff like this. Now, these six female teachers were ar- arrested in a span of two days this week for having sex with students, including a Kentucky staffer who allegedly had a tryst with a pair of 16-year-old boys. Ellen Shell, 38 years old, of Danville, was arraigned in Garrard County. I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. Uh, G-A-R-R-A-R-D. Uh, maybe it's Gerard and they just spell it differently. Anyway, um, in their district court on Thursday, prosecutors said she had sex with two teenagers, two boys, on separate occasions in July and August of last year. Shell worked as a teacher's aide at Woodlawn Elementary School and was employed at Lancaster Elementary School prior to that. Unbelievable. So that's the uh, the current situation. Wow, this woman, uh, not the most attractive. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but she's not. Jeez. Uh, what were these kids thinking? Anyway, let's continue. Arkansas educator Heather Hare, 32 years old, was expected to turn herself in on Friday for an alleged sexual relationship with a teen student and is now facing first-degree felony assault Charges, and uh, that's according to the Arkansas Times. An Oklahoma teacher, Emily Hancock, 26 years old, also arrested on Thursday after local police were tipped off to her ongoing alleged relationship with a student. A former substitute teacher at Wellston Public School, uh, she, uh, Miss Hancock, allegedly began communicating with the teen last October, eventually began sending the 15-year-old nude photos. This is pretty insane. This girl's 26 years old. What is going on here? Is this a result of the incel movement? All these guys that when they're old enough to uh, to be adults, they've decided to become involuntarily celibate and play video games and do crazy things. So women are 
in their 20s are being forced. Uh, is that the argument they're going to make because of the incel movement? I doubt it. It's crazy. But all these teachers' mugshots are here. And uh, there's Kristen Gant. She's 36 years old, English teacher at a Catholic high school in Des Moines, Iowa. She was added to uh, the tally on Friday for allegedly having sex with a teen student five times inside and outside of her school, according to local reports. Investigators said that Gant groomed students over social media and that surveillance cameras caught them going into a classroom alone. Wow. Uh, I can just guarantee you that if this did happen while I was in high school, it happened very seldomly. This was not something that was a, a regular occurrence that people were talking about. In Virginia, Aaliyah Cameron, 33 years old, teacher at James Madison High School, was also nabbed for allegedly having sex with a student over the course of several months. Then a learning disabilities teacher, um, same thing. Oh, actually, she is the learning disabilities teacher. And she's now being held without bond. Look at that. So you can do lots of things with no cash bail, but when you do this, there's being held with bond. And I, I support that. I think if you're getting locked up, you get locked up. Um, although, I mean, you should be able to, to post bail eventually. You, just not no cash bail, you know? Make it some amount and let people do what they got to do. Anyway, let's continue here. Is there any more? Finally, a javelin coach having sex with a 17-year-old boy. This woman, Hannah Martin, not ugly, 26 years old. And she had sent a text back in May of 2021 inviting him to her home. The two allegedly had sex. Unbelievable. 26 and 17. I mean, I guess this kid thinks he's a hero. And these poor girls, why can't they find guys that are 26 years old? What is going on? I'm blaming the incel movement for part of it, but that doesn't justify any of this. Anyway, we're going to go to your calls. And if you have a reaction to that, I'd really appreciate hearing it because that's kind of crazy. And just to recap again, we had some conversations tonight about uh, banking. We had conversations about PTSD. Uh, we had uh, conversations on the, the wokeness that continues to to rock the um, higher ed establishment and uh, and the politicization, uh, politicization, excuse me, of, of so much of what's happening in schools and colleges across America. So your calls now, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let us go to Gil, Manila, Philippines. What's up, my man? How are you? Hola, Ricardo. Oh, Hola, Gil. Um, you How know are what? you? I'm, oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, actually, actually, we're getting ready to visit the U.S. here in 45 days. We leave. Just but, don't get up. Uh, don't get locked up in any Mexican prisons. Uh, I wasn't planning on it, though. But right. uh, uh, but I know talk radio will get me out just like they did 24 years ago. Amen but to that. Anyhow, anyhow, um, uh, just a comment about uh, uh, these teachers. Uh, Back when I was in a Catholic high school, uh, all of our female teachers were Catholic nuns. So uh, I don't think that stuff ever happened. Problem solved. I certainly hope not. Right. Okay. But 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 anyhow, um, I wanted to uh, uh, make make a comment about uh, um, automobiles, if I may. Sure. Uh, Love those. I I I I think I. Um, uh, deciphered from your uh, cryptic response that you're a new, a new proud owner. 
of a Land Rover. A Range Rover, and I returned it. It, it was a piece of junk. I might consider getting a different one, but um, yeah, I'd heard that they had a lot of problems, and I got it, and I didn't like it, and I sent it back um, just yesterday. So um, that's that one in a well, nutshell. We'll see what happens next week. Well, yeah, I'm 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 an I'm an old car guy. My daughter actually uh, just traded in her Porsche um, for a Jaguar. They're made by the same company. The company yeah. is India. From India, uh, they're called uh, uh, Tata Motors. And uh, now that I've got my sight back and I can drive, my wife wants to buy a car, and 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 she likes Toyotas. They're very very popular here. And I think about ninety percent of the Toyotas that were sold here are still on the road. But um, yeah, uh, we have true. you know we have to watch our money. We have to watch our money. Mm-hmm. And the, the cheapest cars available here are the ones that come from India, uh, the Mahindras and the Tatas. They actually cost about one half of the uh, equivalent uh, uh, Toyota. Wow. So uh, I, told my, I told my wife uh, for the price of a Toyota, she could have another bodacious pair of Tatas. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I hear those are good cars. Actually, I told that joke uh, uh, maybe a year and a half ago to Jim. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, uh, I, repurp- I repurposed the joke. But well, I'm honored. I hope you liked it. It was good. I hope you liked it. <laughs> Thank you, Gil. You're the man. Uh, I appreciate it. My best to you and your family and the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night. This is Open Phone America, and I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So a mom in Arizona described how she got a phone call that used AI, artificial intelligence, to scam her with faking her daughter's kidnapping. They thought it was her daughter's voice. And the mom says it completely was her voice. Scary stuff. Anyway, let's continue with your calls. Um, Let's go to Scott, St. George, Utah, KZNU. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Love your show. How are you doing? Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Welcome. So I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of the shows um, the past couple of days. Have you watched Fox News recently? I actually don't watch Fox News ever. Um, I just, it's not part of my daily routine. What's going on there? Well, they're running, it's not them. It's just uh, the Make America Great campaign, Trump's campaign's running odd, uh, ads saying that Ron DeSantis it's going to take away your Medicare Social Security. And he voted to raise the retirement age to 70. And you need to tell Ron DeSantis to keep your hand. Oh, you're cutting in and out, Scott. Uh, the deep state is out to get you. But I, I think I get the gist of it. So it looks like there's some um, opposition ads that are running on Fox. And yeah, when is cable TV or, um, or radio, honestly, or broadcast, uh, the, the networks are bound legally to make these avails for both sides 
available. So that's kind of what they do. And uh, whoever, you know, picks them up, picks them up. And, you know, that's the nature of politics, at least in my lifetime. So I haven't seen the ads, but it doesn't surprise me that there is ads, you know, favoring one candidate or discouraging another potential one. Because after all, that's, that's what they do, no? Scott? We lost Scott. All right, Scott. Sorry about that. Must have been my hair. Anyway, we'll continue with, uh, let's see, who do we have here? John in Reno, Nevada, listening online, Rich Valdez, com. Go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. I guess good right. morning now. Yeah. Um, What's on your mind, brother? I wanted to talk to you about the uh, GOP dinner they had in New Hampshire tonight. Um, I wasn't there. Tell me about it. Okay. Governor Ron DeSantis was a scheduled speaker. And when he got up after the dinner to give his speech, uh, two attractive women, respectable, attractive women got up on stage and stood behind him and unfurled a banner that said Jews against DeSantis. They were quickly hustled off stage. Now, I don't know if Jews against DeSantis means Jews for Sununu or Jews for Trump, but I've never heard of this group. Do you know anything about this? No, I've never heard of it. Didn't hear about this publicity stunt either and hate to participate in those by giving it any airtime, honestly. But uh, clearly there are people within the the Trump camp that are are dissatisfied with a potential candidacy from Ron DeSantis. And... um, all I can say is there is a very solid base of Trump supporters, and they're very vociferous. They're very passionate, and and they're they're different than many I've ever encountered in politics. And I think mainly because they're uh, I guess the modern day equivalent of what you we once called a, a Reagan Democrat. The, these these individuals that I'm talking about are people that are so dissatisfied with the response being given to the political establishment by the body politic that they're, they're, they're willing to go to many different lengths uh, to become way more involved in activism, to become, uh, it's almost like they feel they're a need to. And the reason why is because most of them voted for Obama once or twice. And these are not traditional conservative Republicans that, you know, have been movement conservatives for a long time. Um, They're a a huge, huge part of Trump's base of former disaffected Democrats, disaffected, mainly Obama voters. It's been my experience when meeting people that are, you know, I've got the Trump hat, I've got the Trump T-shirt, I've got the Trump flag wrapped around my shoulders. And I go, you know, they say things like, I've been to 13 rallies, they get better each time. And I'm not doubting any of that. You know, I I love Trump. I think he's great. The rallies are great. He's a phenomenal orator. Uh, But when you meet some of these super fans, if you will, uh, it's because... They, they've seen this light that the rest of us, I guess, either saw many years ago or, you know, they, they were living in this cloud where they said, oh, my gosh, I, uh, I can't believe that I, you know, I voted for Obama. I can't believe things are so bad. I can't believe uh, that, you know, they allowed this DACA to happen, that, and that the, the way we've weaponized government and how it's gotten so much worse under Biden. And honestly, how it got worse even under Trump with uh, what many like to colloquially call the deep state. 
you know, where, I mean, we literally had a sitting president that, where there was spying. We had a candidate for president where there was spying. Whether you call it surveillance or what, whatnot, it happened. The misuse of a FISA warrant. That's not fiction. That's fact. So I think when you, when you put all of that together, there are a lot of people, um, not me, uh, and again, big Trump guy, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked that the government is crooked. I'm not shocked that Democrats um, uh, are, are almost predisposed to weaponizing the government. Sadly, I've seen this happen for a long time at the county level, at the local level, at the state level. Um, and it, to me, it's more of the same when I see it happening in Washington. But that's just me being jaded and, you know, uh, let's call it politically abused, right? I'm just a, a used to the abuse. But there are people that really thought that, you know, they were doing the right thing by voting for Obama and being so passionate about those causes and then saying, oh, my gosh, these people let us down and they're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And I think uh, that's why people are hanging these banners and going out there and really making their voices heard. So that's the best I've got on that one, John. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in. Let us uh, continue here. Where do we go? We go from here. We go to Robert, uh, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead. Yes, Rich. I just wanted to say that uh, with regard to Catholics and, and Catholic high schools, there was a, a Catholic high school in Dresden right across the street from where I lived. It had been destroyed during the Second World War, and then they rebuilt it shortly after I moved out of that well, while I was actually living there um, at that address, which was, like I say, across the street from Gunstrasse, Ochsenswansee. In any case, um, there was a teacher there who, who had a sexual relationship with a student, a guy with a student girl, and um, the Catholic the school fired him, actually. But he was able to maintain the relationship, and then, of course, eventually he married her, and they had at least one child. I think they may have had a second one. And um, wow. I was thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, that happens. And, and, and I, I think that part of the problem with heterosexual relationships is that guys are kind of a little desperate for sex, and women realize that after a period of time. And after about two weeks, after about two weeks of the relationship, um, the guys kind of get a little sexually satisfied, and they don't, they're not as desperate for it. So the women realize that they can't manipulate the guy quite as much, and, and that's when, when things go, start going south. Yeah, well, Gesundheit, Robert, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know. Can't really comment much on that one, whether it's hetero or other types of relationships. I think there's interesting dynamics in all relationships. More on that and your call straight ahead, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're going to get to your calls and more as, as soon as we free up some of the lines. We're going to get to you momentarily. There's a couple of stories that I wanted to um, uh, bring your attention to. I mentioned this earlier, but, this, but mom, right? She's an Arizona mom. Jennifer DiStefano recounted a terrifying experience when uh, phone scammers used artificial intelligence technology to make her think her teenage daughter was kidnapped. And she described it as a 
a call that was from an unknown number because her daughter was on a ski trip at the time. She answered the call out of uh, concern of maybe an accident or something, and I, I get that. I take all sorts of weird calls because I have kids and you never know what's going on. And uh, she explained. She picks up the phone. She heard her daughter's voice, and, and it said, Mom, and she's sobbing. And she said, What happened? And she said, Mom, I messed up. And she keeps sobbing and crying. And then the man gets on the phone and he says, listen here, I've got your daughter. This is how it's going down. You call the police, you call anybody, and I'm going to pop her so full of drugs. I'm going to have my own way with her, and then I'm going to drop her off in Mexico. And at that moment, I just started shaking, is what she says. is a quote from her, from the mom. In the, in the background, she's uh, praying. You know, uh, She hears the daughter saying, help me, help me, help me. And um, very scary stuff. And I'm wondering, you know, how does one respond to that? I mean, uh, you know, I could say I do this and I do that, but I could tell you I'd probably be pretty screwed up in a moment like that, probably trying to find my kid to make sure it's not fake because that would be part. I think I would feel somewhat skeptical about this, but I'd be scared nonetheless. And uh, I, it's, it's amazing the things that are happening now, like how easy it is to fake things. You used to have to go to Hollywood to create all sorts of fake things. Now you just go to like ChatGPT and you can make all sorts of fake everything. And um, that's kind of crazy to me. But, you know, it's a crazy world that we live in, right? Right. That is correct. All right. Speaking of crazy worlds, let's go to San Francisco, California, KVTA, and check in with David. David, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, well, how are you, Rich? Uh, I don't uh, I take offense at the idea that we're a crazy city. I think we're one of the most... Well, then I did my job well. Go right ahead. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was... Um, first going to uh, congratulate America for uh, you paid attention to those floods down in Florida. Yeah. Oh, it's the Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, very bad. Right. Yeah. Today is tax day or tomorrow. And uh, I think it's been extended till our, Tuesday. Well, in any case, our taxes went toward making safer cities, making uh, making a city. Apparently, they've had no deaths. With, with all of that, what is it, 26 inches of rain in one day, and apparently uh, two feet of rain in two hours. Uh, yeah, I went, very, very I went through, big downfall. Yeah, and, uh, and then uh, you had your previous caller talking about uh, DeSantis is still on his book tour or his fake uh, political campaign running for president. Apparently, uh, Florida has a specific law saying that the governor cannot run for president and be the governor at the same time. And so what does DeSantis do? Not show up back down in Florida after they have a downfall like that, uh, a downpour like that. So uh, that lion phony has got some explaining to do to the people of Florida. But still, the architectural standards in Florida have held up so well that there were, uh, with a, a downpour like that, unbelievable. Uh, you know, it doesn't I can imagine 40 days and 40 nights. Um, but the other thing I was going to raise, yeah. um, the, um, did you pay attention to, uh, you know, Trump had to testify today uh, and yeah. uh, yesterday re regarding in a deposition. Uh, his... Right. And uh, the this is the second deposition he did to the to that same uh, 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 district attorney. The first time he pled the Fifth Amendment 487 times or something, some amazing number. You know, you don't 
plead the Fifth Amendment uh, unless you're friggin' crook, as far as I'm concerned. And Trump. Oh, listen, we can't all be right. We need people like you out there, David. Well, uh, I don't know where you stand on uh, on uh, uh, a, a guy that would scam his own people. Did you pay attention to the um, when when Trump? claimed that he uh, won the election and that it was stolen from him, he actually knew that he lost. And when he knew he lost, uh, he still fleeced his own flock, right? Well, let me tell you this. Every day at around this time, we go to a commercial, we come back, and there's a woman that comes out and says, six years in a row, it's the best head of hair in late night talk radio. And, and I laugh at it every single day. And I have not had hair in my head in, I don't know, 15 or 18 years or something like that. Every day I share with six and a half million Americans how much I love my hair and I don't have hair. Because it's a part of showmanship. It's a part of the, 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 the shtick of the show. It's a part of just um, of how it goes in life. And so if, if Trump is going to stick with his story that the election was rigged, which in many ways it was proven to be rigged in certain ways. Um, who am I to, to sit here and, you know, I can critique him. Sure. But I, I can't tell the guy what to believe. He's, he's free to believe just like you're free to believe. No. Uh, so you're saying that you do believe that it was stolen. No, I'm saying I believe that there were plenty of irregularities in the election. And if, if that's the position that he wants to take, who am I to sit here and uh, I can give a critique and say, I think you're out of your mind. Or I could give a critique and say, you know what? I think what happened in Pennsylvania was outrageously egregious. And the fact that, that they've now changed and they've tried to recall this Act 77 so that a state Supreme Court cannot change election law because it can only be changed by a state legislature as it's outlined in the U.S. Constitution, which was interestingly the exact same argument that the Trump uh, lawyers brought following the November 2020 election. Yet at that time, they did not take the, they didn't allow the case to be heard. The same lawyers who I happen to know personally brought the case again, not representing the Trump campaign, same case, different, uh, they, you know, on behalf of concerned citizens. And they actually heard the case this time. So when, if, if someone now the candidate in that race, uh, i.e. Trump is going to say, well, um, it's rigged and there's proof of people actually making the same case. But when it represented Trump, they didn't take it when it was we're representing the voters because this is a violation of law. Then they did take the case. And it makes you think, wow, well, that, you know, it, it gives credence to Trump saying that things were rigged. And clearly, when you change election law in a way that's extra constitutional or extra legal, unlawful outside of the the norms of, of regular law. And I'm talking specifically about Pennsylvania because I was a Philly radio guy. Uh, I can say, wow, yeah, th there's definitely proof. It's concrete proof. It's, you know, in the courts proof. So, I mean, when Trump says these things, uh, that's on him. I didn't run the race. He ran the race. So I, I, I don't I can never sit here and say, I mean, Hillary Clinton made the same things. They called him an illegitimate president for Lord knows how long. Time and again, he's an illegitimate president, illeg and nobody ever took exception to that. But Trump says that this is not an, uh, a legitimate election, and now all of a sudden there's Satan, and then there's Trump. He's that much worse. And, and I just I can't go for that. 
Uh, so do you seriously believe that? Wow, it was a very, I just spoke for like four minutes and I think I gave you a lot of information and all you had was, so I really, I believe every word I just said. Yes, I do. Thanks for the call. I don't know where else to go with that. It seems like we're having a circuitous conversation and uh, not one that I'm going to continue. Thanks, David. We appreciate it. When you have something a little bit more substantive to add, other than I just hate Trump because he's Trump, go right ahead. If you got something factual, bring it on. 833-482-5337. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. By the way, San Francisco, their board of supervisors um, uh, announced a glitch today. One of the um, one of the things that's funny here was that the you know, in addition to the recent stabbing murder of uh, the tech guru Bob Lee, city officials were were having a meeting, and uh, they had to um, stop the meeting because their internet connection was stopped because of vandalism in their very safe city. So for anybody that's uh, thinking that San Francisco is this bastion of wonderfulness, um, it seems like it's not so wonderful. Anyway, I want to continue with your calls. There was um, some news coming out of Montana today where uh, I'm told through the IFB in my ear that the state legislature in Montana decided to... um, say government phones, any government-owned equipment whatnot, uh, isn't going to be allowed uh, to have TikTok uh, downloaded on it. The application can't be there. So interesting stuff. Um, that, that was a big conversation we had last Friday with my buddy Mike Gunzelman. But let's go to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Kane calling from Troy, Montana on KOFI. Kane, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank you, Mr. Valdez. I appreciate you taking my call tonight. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Uh, I just wanted to address, uh, they're talking about banning TikTok altogether. It was already stated uh, and put out that they're going to ban it from campuses and government phones. But now they're actually talking about banning the entire um, application from the general populace as well. And it actually has passed. The legislature is going to GM Forte's desk. Um, The nation is also looking at this issue. And I have a huge problem with it because, one, I feel like, first of all, it's an infringement on our First Amendment rights. And second of all, um, all the other news stations uh, are owned by certain people. If you have you heard anything about France and the things going on there? Because TikTok is the only place I seem to be able to find real information about the people rioting in France. Yeah, no, I, I really never concern myself with France. Um, but I will say this. Uh, I agree with you. Um, we talked about this last week with respect to the, um, the Restrict Act, where they use these, these heavy-handed government um, policies in effect to to control what what we're 
what we're getting with the information that we're receiving. And uh, I'm, I've never, I'm not on TikTok. There is no at Rich Valdez with an S on TikTok. That's intentional. I don't like it. I don't want to support the platform. But I will say, I mean, I guess you could find videos of me, like radio stations have put me on there, but I don't have an account there. And, and um, I, I agree with you in so much as we, we don't want a cure that's worse than the disease, right? If we don't like TikTok, you do what I do. You don't use it. And that's that. And if you're in government and it's a public, uh, publicly owned device or whatever, uh, Trump had signed something like that, an executive order saying, look, we're not using any TikTok, uh, uh, any TikTok on any government devices. I support that, too. That's fine. Uh, when it comes to telling uh, people what they can and can't do with something that's readily available on the App Store, I don't even see how they would enforce something like that. But, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. It, and, and that was kind of the conversation that we had is, um, it, there was a way to stop Parler. There was a way, and I'm, I love Parler. I thought Parler was terrific. Uh, but there was a way. You know, people, when there's a will, there's a way. And clearly there is no will to, to ban TikTok other than from, from some people who feel they're, they're nefarious actors. And I get that. Uh, and if there needs to be regulation, we can have that conversation. That's what Congress is for. But uh, I don't know that we should just start banning stuff, especially after taking a look and learning about um, from my buddy Mike Gunzelman on last Friday's show uh, or Thursday show, where we learned of how how um, tyrannical, if I can use the term, the Restrict Act is. So it makes a lot of sense to to not go that route. Kane. Yes, sir. And I was also going to ask you about what that would mean for the openness of the Internet in general. And I'm actually very upset that we found out through documentation uh, from the FBI that they deliberately used uh, Facebook and Twitter to be censored and to fight the people politically and mitigate their political conversations. But now we're going after TikTok, who is completely uncensored. And I, I, I don't see the, um, I don't see the award there. I don't see the goodness of it. And right. I'm really worried about what they're afraid of us seeing. Yeah. Well, look, I, I don't know that I can agree with you on, on how uncensored TikTok is. I mean, I think we, uh, I, I did a story not too long ago on how, the rise of transgenderism, uh, there was some study kind of linking a lot of it to how often they were streaming content on TikTok. And I know a lot of the audio that I play here is uh, originally sourced from TikTok of, you know, the individuals with the multicolored hair, the purple hair, the what, you know, saying these crazy things like that guy a couple of days ago who said, you know, um, it's not trans kids that are the problem. It's the cisgender kids that are the problem. And 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 he goes in to say that 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 God was trans, and it was just a, a bizarre rant that he went on. Uh, all of that is is being perpetuated on on TikTok, and it's reaching people all over the place. There's also like a rise in deaths of children that have been engaging in TikTok challenges. So I, I see the the cause for concern, um, and it, it gives me pause as well. I just think. We have to, you know, there's dangers in life. And we, if I'm a dad. Uh, I tell my kids, there are dangers in life. You can't do, you can't stop people from doing things, but you can try and help them to do things safer. Anyway, Kane, I appreciate the call from Troy, Montana, KOFI. Big shout out to everybody out there. More to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America 
night with Rich Valdez. Linda in Albany, New York, WGDJ. Linda, go right ahead quickly. Uh, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, you were talking about inappropriate behavior by adult teachers, but also adults in other organizations that have power over children. A real breakdown in our culture, and I think some of it has e- evolved from so much emphasis on abortions and uh, just destroying children. Yeah, I think the lack of life overall, the lack of concern for life uh, outside of the abortion debate, but including the abortion debate, uh, has caused, this is why we see crime in New York. People don't care. I just saw a video earlier today of somebody getting into a, a street fight where they pulled out a knife and the guy, one shot straight to the guy's jugular. The guy died on the video I watched. It was the craziest thing. It happened hours ago today in New York City. Crazy stuff, Linda. Thank you so much for the call. Randall, Naples, Florida, very quickly. WGUF, go for it. Hey, real quick, I just want to commend you for standing up for the right, right things that you do, the virtue, the values for America, and and putting people in their place who uphold this constant change on the left, which is not working for America. I really commend you for that. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Randall. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. I just try to be fair. I don't know if I am always, but uh, I'll give you your chance to say what you got to say and go for it and do your thing. And then I'll give you my my take on it. And we have to eventually land somewhere where we agree on something, because if not, then we're all screwed, Randall. I agree with that. (laughs) And we're going to be screwed if we don't get back to our constant values that we were brought up and raised with. We can't go with this this continuance of change uh, as, as the sun comes up every morning. You're right. And you know how I know that, at least what I can tell colloquially or even uh, anecdotally, I can tell you that people that I know that are atheists, people that I know that agnostic, deist, whatever, you, people are, you know, they don't care about morality for the sake of God. They care about morality because they think I have to do the right thing for people. Even these people, right, they're, they're like, it's kind of crazy what's going on with these with this woke agenda, <laughs> right? So when you have people saying, look, that's just crazy, what are you going to do? Anyway, Michael in Pendleton, Oregon on KUMA, Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW, thank you for the call. The music means they're kicking me out. I'll be gone for the weekend. Check out the best of over the weekend and the podcast, Rich Valdez, com. Take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. See you Monday. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.